HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to another beautiful episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Sanchez, alongside my beautiful mom, Sarela Martinez. Of course, this is brought to you on Heritage Radio Network, and we have the unbelievable pleasure of inviting somebody that I care deeply about. I consider my hermano, my compadre. He is someone that's brilliant. He is probably one of the smartest chefs I know, but also he has uh, made California's home for many, many years. And the topic that we're going to be touching upon is going to be Californian Mex, Cal-Mex, the influence of that California in, in the Mexican influence in California cuisine and what has become of that. But let me give a little bit of love about my boy, Neil. Of course, he's a chef and owner at Redbird in L.A., He's a native uh, Los Angelian, uh, Los Angelin. How do you say it, Neil? Angelino. Angelino. Thank you. Um, he's worked for very notable chefs, Wolfgang Puck, of course, Thomas Keller, David Burke. We can go down the line. Uh, he's had many restaurants, but one of my, one of my favorites where I first met Neil was at Grace. And I remember you made this beautiful scallop dish with this little corn hash that was just so dynamite. I never forgot it after all those different years. And then, uh, you know, you've been on Top Chef uh, Masters and, and all that good stuff. And and now you're, you're pioneering this beautiful space, which you were so generous to open up for I don't such a scholarship event, which I'm eternally grateful for. Uh, so I just want to welcome everyone, uh, Chef Neil Frazier. So welcome, Papa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's an honor to be with you guys. Thank you. So, uh, Neil, talk to me about your earliest experiences with Mexican food growing up in California. And what what were some of those vivid memories and how did it influence uh, your, your, just your, out, your, your outlook on food in general? Yeah, you know, I think growing up in LA, my my parents uh, honeymooned in Rosarito, Mexico, um, which obviously is not you know the the food belt of Mexico, but that was my kind of first experiences was going to the Rosarito Beach Hotel where they were married or had their honeymoon. You know, eating the food of uh, of that that city, which is a coastal city, a lot of seafood. But I think that I really started to understand Mexican food when I really started to understand more of the ingredients and how to kind of tie those ingredients into what I wanted to cook because, you know, I, I'm not a Mexican chef. I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I do have a, a partners in a Mexican restaurant very recently, but I really love the 
the story of all the ingredients that either were originated in Mexico or were cultivated in Mexico and kind of brought to, you know, worldwide global dominance, like, you know, corn, tomatoes and chocolate. And kind of, you know, as I, you know, kind of grew up knowing the food and then grew up, you know, obviously traveling through Mexico and some of the places, maybe the road less traveled, you know, most recently to me was, you know, Mexico City, which is, I don't know why, like, uh, you know, a lot of Angelinos haven't been to Mexico City. I mean, I talked to uh, one of my friends the other day, he's on the radio, he's, you know, older than me. And I'm like, what's your favorite restaurant in Mexico City? He's like, I've never been, you know, and I think that, you know, Mexico kind of needs a new publicist. And I also think that the, the best parts of Mexico that I really love traveling, and I think it has the best food, are the places away from the coast, away from the gringos, um, where you get to kind of see the the ingredients. And I think that, you know, Mexico City is obviously the uh, the catcher of all those things because it's the biggest city, it has the biggest population. Just like Los Angeles, there's great, you know, there's not just great Oaxacan food in LA, there's great food from um, lots of different places, just like there's in Mexico City. Well, you know, uh, James Osland, uh, who used to be editor of uh, Savour magazine, just published a fantastic book about Mexico City. It is gorgeous. It is so informative. It is just wonderful. And it's it's going to be a series of, of food kind of like the old life uh, magazine, you know, time life series of, of special gourmet books. But it's anybody who wants to know about Mexico City has to pick that book up. Every time I go, I, I don't want to leave. You know, I, I, you see so many just great people and they're really the, you know, just like you go to Rosary Beach, the, the food is very, you know, there, I'm sure there's some amazing restaurants in Rosario I haven't been to, but when you go to Mexico City, you, you have some of the best Italian food you've ever had. You have great pizza. You have great, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have been to Maximo's Bistro, the guy who was a chef owner, this guy Lalo, who was deported twice you know, and, and uh, flies business class to his restaurants in Europe and, um, you know, is really, you know, and, and has great Italian food on his menu. You know, I mean, I had, uh, you know, Pata Negra, you know, in his bar a couple of years ago. I'm like, what is that? He's like, that's Pata Negra. I'm like, is that made in Mexico? No, he goes, no, it's Spanish, idiot. You know, it's like, <laughs> but he's like celebrating the best ingredients on the planet. And I, you know, I have a lot of uh, a love for that. I also have a lot of love for all the bugs that are used in uh, Mexico. We actually, in our Dinale menu, that's just starting on uh, Friday of this week, we're going to do uh, like a, you know, play on a churro with a chocolate sauce, and we're going to do cocoa nibs. And uh, I found a local resource for Chicatana ants. So we're going to have like ants and chocolate and cocoa nibs and, you know, more or less churros, although it won't be an actual churro. But Well, you know, we just, uh, in Oaxaca, we went to Alejandro Ruiz's restaurant, Casa Oaxaca, and he had this huge tostada with all different kinds of crispy insects. You know, the, the chicatanas, the, the grasshoppers, the gusanos. It was fantastic. Yeah, we went to a restaurant in Puebla and it was the same. They, had, they actually had a special part of their menu. It was just all bugs. They had the Del Maguey worms. I mean, the Maguey worms were like, you know, the size of my pinky. They were a little hard to choke down, but they were delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, we had Dr. Bugs on, right, Mom? Yeah. So the, the day that we went to Alejandro Ruiz's, we listened to this uh, podcast that we did with Mark Moffat, who's called Dr. <laughs> Bugs. It is the most hysterical 
podcast. I mean, I laughed more than I had through all COVID. It was like the <laughs> the first laugh. So when I, when we went the other day to eat there, we came back to the place where we were staying and we watched and we listened to the podcast. Yeah, it was wonderful. So I really rec- it's called Eat Your Bugs. I really recommend it. Eat your bugs, exactly. No, but I think one of the things I would love to bring up because. I think it's, let's be very honest about when you work in the restaurant industry, we have a lot of our Mexican uh, familia and, and, and our team come from these places. And I've been to your restaurant and I've cooked in your kitchen, uh, in your kitchens, chef. And I understand that you know, you're probably very much more skewed to the Mexican, uh, you know, vernacular in your kitchens. Has some of the cooks and some of your chefs that work with you uh, giving you ideas as how you want to form some items on your menu? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're trying to do elevated food. So, the you know, the food we do is, you know, a lot of it, if it's Mexican influence, it's it's elevated. But um, we had one of my sous chefs is, you know, unfortunately no longer uh, working with us. Um, and, you know, I, I love uh, chilaquiles with, with mole. And we had, you know, we had duck breast on the menu. We didn't have any kind of use for our for our legs. So we did a, a, a chilaquiles with a duck confit with mole and a poached egg. And, you know, we'll sell, you know, we'll do 50 people for brunch, you know, on a slow day and we'll sell 40 orders of chilaquiles. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> really good. And it's got a little, like a pico de gallo on, on the top and a little bit of uh, like an egg, uh, uh, sorry, avocado crema on the bottom with a poached egg on top. And, but again, like, you know, the first time I ever had pozole. You lost me with uh, a was made egg. by... <laughs> Yeah. Well, yes, fried egg, but uh, sunny side, not scrambled, not scrambled egg. But I was uh, I was up in uh, Central California with uh, my buddy who unfortunately passed away, Jim Clendenin, and he uh, famously made lunch not every day, but he would make lunch a hundred days a year, a hundred days a year for his staff. And uh, you know, some of his people were Latinos. I don't know where he learned how to make pozole, but um, first time I ever had pozole was in his winery, and I ate this. I'm like, I've heard of pozole. It's like menudo, like. Bad menudo tastes terrible. Good menudo tastes amazing. The same with pozole. Like, if you're using table scraps and dishwater to make it, it's different than, you know, making chicken stock with with feed and it has lots of collagen. I had it and, you know, I had uh, pozole from time to time on my menu and people were like, what area of Mexico is this pozole inference from? I'm like, downtown Los Angeles, right here. Perfect. Because every time, every time you go and you're like, you know, you go to... You know, Zarella and you say, well, this is my dish that I, you know, got from Zacateca. And she's like, BS, this is not what I had there. You have to, you have to make it your own to a certain point. And I always find that, exactly. you know, with any sort of uh, indigenous food, like if we have a Nigerian wedding, I'm cooking Nigerian food and I fly to Nigeria and I work with the best Nigerian chef for 10 years and I come back and I make it for Nigerian grandma. She's like, this food sucks. <laughs> because I, it's a comparison to like what you had back home. And I think that. With Mexican food, you know, my kind of nod to that or my, you know, respect for that is making it my own. Like I can't, I'm never going to be able to replicate what I can have somewhere else, nor do I want to. It's like, I want to make it my own. But, you know, Mexico is really, you know, it's the Bible belt of, you know, I'm like, where would Italians be without Mexico? They'd be cooking like fish without salt, you know. Explain about your style, mom, too. Yeah, and where where would Italian restaurants in New York be without Mexican chefs? I mean, practically... (laughs) Practically all the Italian restaurants here have Mexican chefs. Yeah. Well, my style is more is more contemporary. It's like what how, how they described it was is a contemporary interpretation of 
fine food, ser food serving fine homes. It's, you know, I learned, I went to finishing school where I learned a lot of wonderful dishes that sort of the upper crust people had. They, they were actually really down home dishes, you know, like a, like a cornbread with, made with rice flour and, you know, cannelloni made with spinach and it was just like an amazing, amazing education, and that's the kind of food that I served at the restaurant. But it was actually, they used to call it gourmet. It wasn't gourmet. What it was, it was a food of the fiestas, you know, of the different towns. That's what I, I did. I did all the specialties of little towns, the food that they serve at the fiestas. We did, a, we did a bike ride with some of my crazy friends, and we rode our bikes from Mexico City to San Cristobal about four years ago. You know, when you think about Oaxaca, I don't know, it's it's like anything. Like, you think about Oaxaca, you're like, yeah, it's kind of in the mountains. And there's, you know, you know, native-looking people that live there. And you're like, oh, Oaxaca is like, kind of like California, right? Some of it's on the, you know, some of it's on the coast. Some of it's very high altitude. We were riding our bikes at 9,000 feet on paved roads. And we pulled in this one town, which they call the, I forget the name of the town, but it's like where they have the psilocybin mushrooms, which they didn't have any, unfortunately. They had one chicken. They had one chicken in the whole town. And there were 10 of us riding bikes and they're like, sorry, we just have one chicken. We're like, okay. And they made us tacos. I mean, they made us, you know, the most, I mean, we've been riding our bikes for four hours so that we would have eaten, you know, the, the ch chicken poo and it would have tasted good. Yeah. But they made us tacos with this one chicken. They fed 10 of us out of one chicken. We were, you know, full and ready to, you know, finish our, our ride. Did you know, did you notice that it makes that place fascinating besides the mushrooms? is that they have a whistle language. Because you know how the, the mountains were so high around and, and the villages in the middle, like in a canyon? Well, they whistled the, the, uh, across the, 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 the mountain things. And, in, and, in, and in those, on the bottom of those uh, mountains are this w deep water, un underwater caves that go down to like a, a thousand meters and spelunkers come from all over the world to, 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 to go into, it's, it's a fascinating place. Yeah. It's like San Cristobal de las Casas. It, you kind of feel like you're in San Miguel de Ende, you know, 40 years ago. It's like, you know, it has that kind of vibe. It's at high altitude. It's it's just so interesting when you, yeah. you know, you think about Mexico, like, you know, being an Angelino, like you think about Mexico, you drive to Tijuana, you're like, there's Mexico. It's all like Tijuana. Yeah. And then you go to, you know, we went to uh, Valle de Guadalupe a couple weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And I was just blown away. I mean, the wines were okay, good, decent. But the food and the culture and the, the people doing stuff down there, I mean, you know, Javier Placencia is just, just killing it. And uh, I mean, the food is just really world class. And Benito, and Benito does a great job. And there's another chef that we should mention named Antonio Di Livier, who has a beautiful little restaurant called El Humador. And it's right in Rosarito and he's cooking everything open flame, fantastic chefs. Happy that we're giving some love to Baja, because you're right. Because we are talking about Cal Mex, right? So Baja California. So all this is, is, is relative, and I think pertinent to what we're talking about. Well, we had, we had Coleman Andrews on, and he was talking about, about Baja California. And did you have the borrego frito, you know, the, the, the roasted lamb that they, they fry until it's crisp afterwards? No. I, I've had stuff like that in Mexico City, but not... Not in Baja, no. But one of my buddies, I went to I went to CIA and I went with my this guy Dan Molnar who grew up. I met him at Valley College. Uh, uh, and, uh, but Neil, real quick, who was your roommate? Yeah. Oh yeah, Johnny Vesh. He actually wasn't <laughs> my roommate. But. 
but he was in the same area. But whatever. He was my. He class, likes to yeah. tell the story. Go ahead. We, we shared. Uh, we we had the same soap on a rope. We used to share the same soap. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love. It. Go ahead. My I'm buddy sorry, Dan, who my buddy Dan, who went to culinary school with me, and he's been a ski bum his whole life, and he lives in Mammoth. But for the last four years, he has three kids. He lives in. They they have a van, like a custom van, and they drive it down to Baja. 10 hours down the coast, they on a dirt road, three and a half hours. He goes there for a month. This year, he wants to go without going to, to land. So, they, you know, <laughs> he's bringing enough water and food with his three kids. The oldest is seven. And he's living on the beach with Mexican fishermen, trading fish, just living the simple <laughs> lifestyle. And I'm like, during co- he did this during COVID. You know, I'm here like, you know, triaging like, you know, World War Three, trying to keep my business in, in, in line. And my friend Dan is eating mussels on the beach in Mexico. You look, you and asshole. I'm just like, what's fucking wrong with me? Exactly. What am I doing? It's like exactly. not a big enough rock to hit against my head. And this guy's living on the beach with his three kids. They all speak Spanish. Well, you know, when, I, when Aaron was at, at Outward Bound for Kids at Risk, I took, I took Rodrigo and a young boyfriend I had. Uh, and there's two skiffs with two biologists, you know, a, a biologist couple. And we went from one uninhabited island to the other, and we caught our fish, and I am making couscous, and, you know, among the vinagrones and all that. But we stopped at this place where they had this cut in the, in the sand, like at the sandbar, and there were all this sea, all these mullocks that had become extinct. You went, all, you went all the way down. It was so impactful. It was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Mexico is awesome. I love it. And I just think it's inter- it's interesting to mention that uh, Chef Neil is one of these gentlemen that loves the outdoors, loves that sort of not I don't want to say alternative lifestyle, but it's you know he goes to Burning Man. You know what I'm saying? And and I, and you've invited me a couple times, and I'm sorry I haven't been, but it's yeah. like idea. One of these days. Yeah, I'll get there, baby. Um, but the idea is like. Being able to think instead of this like sort of compartmentalized chef, this is what we do. So many different things influence us, whether it's Mexico, whether it's our travels. And I think it's very important to mention. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's inspiring. I mean, you know, it's even if I don't like find a recipe, I find an ingredient or I, you know, I, you know, bugs to me, I've been saying this for years. I think bugs are kind of the future of food. You know, it's like, you know, you can raise enough protein off grasshoppers and, with a hundredth of the amount of water than you can on beef, you know, and they, they grow very easily. They're relatively nutritious. You can grow them and eat them. You don't have to refrigerate them. You can, um, you know, you can kill them and eat them. Like it's, you know, how hard is it to carry around a bag of grasshoppers? It's like carry around a cow is different, you know? And I think that there's a lot to be said about all these, you know, it's like, I always think about that, you know, in, in all different kinds of food, like what we would eat, like if there was a larva that infected the rice and we throw the rice out, why would we not, cook those things together, you know, and uh, have something more nutritious. You know the, that uh, Dr. Bugs said that they're 94% protein bugs. So, and, and then I don't gave the sad news to a lot of vegans that a lot of the flowers that, that they buy has 40% insect parts. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. You know, a, a lot of, a, there's a lot of protein that comes from the vegan stuff with, from bugs. But it's okay. I mean, that's a gray area. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, now they're rationed now. You know, the baguette worms are rationed now in, in Oaxaca. Yeah. Good food is worth a thousand words. 
This is Aarti Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk a little bit about, okay, so I know that you've been a champion for Mexican ingredients forever, Neil, in your cuisine. I remember you were one of the first gringo chefs using huilacoche, like back in the day. Now, how, how challenging was it for you to procure those ingredients? You know, did you have did you have a guy that would bring them up or did you have to go to mail order sources or what? How was that for you earlier in your career? I think originally, you know, Frank Chino was probably cultivating or, or allowing the corn to, you know, have that stuff. I mean, I think, you know, originally, just like <clears throat> any chef, you want to cook with, you know, caviar and foie gras. And Wheel of Coche was kind of like, you know, the Mexican truffle or the corn truffle and I think I was kind of uh, drawn towards it because it was a, a luxury ingredient. But I I think along the way, like, you know, I'd much rather have, you know, escamoles in my kitchen, which are very hard to find in Los Angeles, um, than I would something that's, a you know, something that's more of a a, a peasanty dish. You know, although the bugs in, in Mexico, they're not cheap. Like if you go to a market in, you know, San Cristobal de las Casas and you get, uh, you know, uh, the grasshoppers with chili and lime, you know, they're like, five dollars for like a bag like you know like like a a small popcorn bag but i like those kind of ingredients but i think that's that's wheelie coche was that first thing and i i don't necessarily use a lot of it and i don't necessarily love the the flavor profile but i think just like anything else i probably not have gotten the best wheelie coche because just like truffles i mean the truffles from oregon you know, tastes like doo-doo and the truffles from Australia, which are now cultivated, are some of the best truffles in the world. And I'm sure with the coche is in that same genre. I mean, they're, start, they're starting to make sake in Oregon, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Or they've been making, I mean, like, so just to give you an they're idea. They're making sake in LA. Yeah. They're making yeah, yeah. sake in LA. I mean, it just, this is incredible. The world, the world of food in our industry has opened up and everyone's interpreting it the way they want. And I think it's exciting. I think the idea of the purist, uh, of what a purist means, is being put on its head. I think all of us need to be a little bit more uh, open-minded when it comes to that. You know what I'm saying? Because the best way you can honor our, our, our culture is by embracing it. Very much like you've done, Neil. Rick Bayless, who we had on our show. The best way you can do it is to cook our food and do it justice. Right, Mom? Exactly. Don't you think? It, it, it's the best way of saying that. Can I take a little step back and define with, with La Coche? With, with La Coche becomes this, the corn kernels become invaded by this spore and they become like a mushroom. It's a, it's a, it's a corn mushroom, become all black. 
And you know, this, the, the Burns brothers in, in Florida developed this technique of injecting, yeah, injecting every ear of corn with the spores, and they, and they always have with la coche. You know, to, 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 well, not always because they become so popular that it's hard to get, you know, by, they, they sell it frozen and it's really good. And what I do, because I, I, I know what you're saying about the flavor profile, but the, what I do in most of my parties is that I make a soup, like a cream soup with poblano and a pasote and the, with la coche, puree it and serve it in demitasse. You know, when people come into a party and that's the first flavor that they have. And it's like a great palate opener. And here's one thing I've heard about the corn, by the way. And of course, my mom's going to probably bust my, my huevos about this. But I talked to a guy in Tlaxcala, where the, they call it la cuna or the like the sort of birthplace of, of corn and tortillas, that every little silky strand that you see on corn represents one kernel. No, wasn't that Zach told us that? No, I know, no, he didn't tell me that. I think he might. No, no, no. I saw when I, I, well, someone told me that. So Neil, every little strand, every little silky strand is represents one kernel on a cob. It was funny. We were we were growing corn in our we were growing corn in our garden last last year. It was not very good, you know, edible wise. But uh, my chef cuisine, Jason, he's like, he goes, you know what corn is? I'm like, no, what is it? He goes, it's it's rice. It's basically it's they gener- genetically modified or whatever cross pollinated rice, and I, I pulled the things open. You can actually see the the silk coming out of the top of the corn, and then you look at it, you're like, oh, it, you could actually see it because of the way our corn was, you know, was growing, and also it was too dry, and but it like it looked, you know, you could see each one was going to one kernel. It was fascinating, you know. Well, you know, Oaxaca is, has become huge. Yesterday was El Dia del Maíz, and and our friends are working with Teocintle, which is the original, you know, uh, plant that they used to develop corn in, you know, pre-Hispanic people. And it's hard as a rock. They're like little, uh, little rocks, practically. And they're working with it, and they had their first harvest of this. And in fact, this wonderful documentary that, that they put together about, because they, they started like all this, um, la- corn um, warehouses, I guess. Every little village has its own corn and seed banks, seed banks. And in right. case somebody goes away to live in the United States for a while, they leave their seeds in the bank and then they come back and, and they can have the same corn that, that they had before, you know, because everybody's very proud. That's cool. It's, it's really, really cool. So this documentary yeah. of theirs is, is going to be, it's going to be in a festival in LA, you know. So mm. That's cool. Yeah. And it, Do you know the name of it, Mom? So yeah, Neil yeah. and all of us going. Yeah, I'll 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 look it up right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like almost like you know when you think about um, you know Anson Mills, you know, which is a, yeah. a company in in South Carolina, and they've been kind of you know growing these heritage things, and you know I always thought like Carolina Gold Rice was from Carolinas, but it's all you know came from Africa. It's like you know it's like all the corn didn't. There's no native corn that was growing in the United States. I mean. Obviously, these things were brought, you know, you know, to, you know, thousands of miles, thousands of years ago. You know, it's the same yeah. with with chocolate. I was um, looking that up, you know, um, you know, the where chocolate was originally from. I always thought it was from Mexico. It's it's actually not. It's from South America and they still have wild chocolate that grows in the rainforest. But it was originally brought to Mexico and then it was cultivated. And then obviously, you know, they, they I forget the name of the drink, but it was like the. 
you know, before they beheaded all their uh, no, enemies, they would, yeah, 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 they yeah, would yeah. drink the chocolate, you know, the, the Aztecs would drink the chocolate alcohol thing and then behead everybody. The name of the documentary, the name of the documentary is Los Guardianes del Maíz, the, the Keepers of the Corn. Nice. Keepers, guardians, yeah, of the corn. Um, but I think it's interesting to mention, though, that right now we're living in a place where information is so it is so available as far as the artisanal uh, ingredients, right, that make things so special. And I think everyone needs to be informed. You're listening to this podcast. We're going to put tons of links up for people to go and seek out these ingredients and seek out Chef Neil and engage him. Make sure that you have questions. Do it or myself or my mom. We're here for you guys as that resource. I think it's important to mention. I think there's also another great uh, couple guys. They're younger in their 20s and they were kind of burned out on buying, you know, crappy tortillas. So they started their own tortilla factory in L.A. It's called uh, Kernel of Truth. And they, you know, they're buying organic corn. They're they're doing all their nixmonization in-house. It's, uh, I think their plant is in East LA. And they're, you know, they're starting, you know, it's just like, you know, a guy like Ray Garcia, he'll go to a farmer in Mexico, but, you know, they're getting stuff that's more locally grown and locally sourced, but they're doing it, you know, the way they've been making tortillas for, you know, thousands of years. They're doing it, you know, the OG way, which, you know, Americans, we've done a really good job of, I mean, I guess in Mexico too, but we've done a really good job of taking something that's really great and making it terrible by mass producing it by, you know, it's like Bebo as an example in Mexico or whatever, wet, you know. Uh, I'm sure Bebo, Bebo started as a great bakery at one point. Yeah, it's like uh, Wonder Bread, you know, it's like, but I'm just saying like, but the, the you know, the original, the, I'm sure the, the original white bread that they, they you know, polished the, the, the wheat so it was white, so it was beautiful and amazing. Yeah. That's, you know. I'm saying it's nice to see like tortillas, which you can buy probably any supermarket almost on the planet. You know, people are going back to like the way it was made a long time ago. You know, it's well, you know, we had this uh, this guy who was founded an organization to the preservation of the corn tortilla, because the consumption in Mexico has gone down to forty percent. But corn in the United States, because of all the fritos and the doritos and you know the tostadas and all that kind of stuff, has grown like to about eighty percent consumption now in the United States. And um, there's a guy, a young kid here that we, who did our first podcast, actually, Zach Wangaman, who is actually Oaxacan. He has a, a tortilleria all done with native corn. And yeah, and it's called Sobre Masa, which is a great play on the term. And now, and now they're making uh, whiskey. Uh, Absalon is one of the ones that's doing it right now. Corn, artisanal corn whiskey in Mexico, bro. So there's a lot of cool things happening. There's a gentleman, there's a, there's a couple brothers that are making clothing, leather clothing with the byproducts of maguey. Of, of the nopales, make, of the nopales. The, nopa, the, the nopales, yeah, but also the maguey's too, mom. And they're, the nopales, and they're making clothing out of it. Isn't that neat? So there's a lot going on right now, and I think having you here, Neil, is a beautiful sort of beacon and a voice for that wonderful intersection between Mexico and California, which I think is sort of the, the voice for a lot of Mexican cuisine in our country. So that's why we're doing this right now. Yeah. We were used to be part of Mexico, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people in California <laughs> wish that we still were. 
you know, I think tell the story, uh, mommy. Tell, yeah, tell the story, I, mommy. I used to do a lot of public speaking. I used to say, United States to California, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, from Mexico, and the Mexicans have quietly reclaimed it. Yeah, not so. I mean, not so quietly in LA. I mean, you know, LA is, you know, it's it becomes more and more Latino, and and I gotta say, it's like you know, I, I know I'm a semi-old, you know, aged white guy, but you know, the 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 politics of a of a state. And a city should Absolutely. be representational of the people that live there. And, you know, there's a huge influence. I mean, you know, a lot of the politicians that I'm, you know, personally friends with, you know, Monica Rodriguez, you know, she's third generation, you know, Californian. But, you know, definitely there's a lot of uh, good stuff in, you know, Mexican heritage, happy in L.A. And, you know, it's kind of the, you know, the women that are kind of leading it, which I, you know, I'm very proud to to do. We do a, an event with her. Um, it's called Politics in Pozole. We've been doing it for the last seven years, and it's a basically a breakfast with all the, the kind of the the power leaders of the Latino politics in the state of California, and you know it's nice to kind of be part of that that you know the message, and you know we when Amy and I started Redbird, you know it was kind of important to us to become part of the fabric of Los Angeles. We're a block from City Hall, we're a catty corner from uh, the LAPD headquarters, uh, which is also headquarters for the FBI in downtown LA, and. Uh, those people come to our restaurant, you know, and I, I like, you know, that we can be more than just a restaurant. We can be obviously a place where people celebrate and people have weddings and people have birthday parties. But, you know, also to go to the bar and it's like, you know, the head of, you know, PR for LAPD is sitting at the bar and I can, you know, chat with them about what's going on in Los Angeles. At times you need somebody that's not necessarily from our culture to speak up. Absolutely. And I think that and I think and I think this is what 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 grabs people's attention, you know, and I think it's so special what your mission, yeah. uh, you know, I hope I hope we're in a good place right now representing uh, all of our Mexican and our Latino family out there. And I think you have done so much to bring some light to that. Well, you know, you know so. I remember there's a, uh, we had well, Jeffrey Pilcher, who is uh, the guy who wrote uh, Que Viva Los Tamales, and he wrote Planet Taco. He's a really a great food historian uh, dedicated to Mexican food. And when I first opened the restaurant, he came in with this uh, paper he had done comparing the food of Diana Kennedy, Rick Bayless, Patricia Quintana, Susana Palazuelos, and my food. And what he, what he discovered is that Rick and, and Diana, the, uh, the güeros, were doing, f focusing more on traditional food and trying to preserve that, while the, us Mexicans yeah. were playing more with the food because it was sort of something that we grew up with, you know, and it was just... We were not into preserving. We you were, had the right to. Yeah. And you had the right to, Mom. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, yeah. you know? Exactly. But it also, you, you, you have a history of cuisine. You know, I, I don't. You know, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, a gringo. My dad was English, you know. When he grew up, I mean, you know, they were eating their, you know, their left foot. That was the tastiest thing in the pantry, you know. The food of England, I mean, it's just kind of grown up. And my mom was uh, was born in, in Michigan and she went to high school in Oklahoma, you know, two places with not great cuisine and then moved to California. You know, again, like, you know, we're still trying to figure out our heritage of food. But, you know, we're really just like any city. And, you know, I always say, like, you know, there's great fine dining restaurants in Los Angeles, but there's really great ethnic restaurants in Los Angeles. And it's, you know, not just Mexican food. I mean, there's great Korean food. There's great Chinese food. And there's a Michelin one star Chinese restaurant in Temple City. And people are like, where's Temple City? It's like. It's just down the street, you know, and it's great to just see. I mean, you know, maybe Ray Garcia is the only one that's kind of trying to push it. I mean, obviously, uh, 
Enrique Alvera, who's a, you know, a carpet bagger um, to LA, but, you know, still like, you know, his restaurants are solid, you know, I mean, I think he's doing a good job. I think that, you know, Detroit, his little taco place in the alley is good. We've been to uh, Damian a couple times and, you know, the thing about LA and, and fine dining Mexican food is that, you know, LA is like, you know, kind of like the taco is kind of the gateway drug or the quesadilla, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's taken longer for fancier Mexican food to kind of take on because I think it's to, you know, the people in LA, they kind of associate with one sort of thing. So it's nice to have people, you know, Mexicans from different places, um, moving to LA and, and opening, you know, more fine dining restaurants. I mean, Amy and I went and had tacos and margaritas at Detroit the other day. It was like $75. And I was like, I had like three tacos and, you know, four margaritas, <laughs> three margaritas. I don't know. So, yeah, uh, $12 chef, tacos. Um, just to kind of uh, put a little ribbon on this and a little button. How can people get to you and um, continue to have this conversation? So this is like what we like to do as good Mexicans, shamelessly plug. All right. So this is your opportunity. All right. So how can people get engaged with you? I'm easy to find. I'm relatively, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't post a lot on Instagram or Facebook, but you can message me there. Um, you can, uh, go to our website. I'm sure my email is on our website, redbird.la, uh, viviana.com. Um, you can call the restaurant. You can call uh, Aron's <laughs> cell phone and, uh, he can text me. And also, but he, he's mentioning Amy cause we have two Amy's. Amy's, uh, Amy Curry's our fantastic producer who's so brilliant, but he also has a very brilliant Amy who's his better half and she's, yeah. She's, she's my better half. She's my not only my wife, um, but also uh, the person who's the director of operations for all of our businesses and really the the guiding light of, uh, you know, basically what happens, everything except for culinarily. And even with her, you know, there's always some influence, but she she's the one who kind of ties everything together. So what are your causes? My causes? Uh-huh. I mean, right now, my biggest cause is mental health, you know. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, like all of us. yeah, I mean, my, you know, my, my, uh, you know, my, I don't know. I don't want to go into it on the radio, but it's been, no, 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 it's but been hard. Livelihood, but I, I think that, uh, you know, my, my causes are, you know, going to be for the next couple of years, you know, dealing with mental health and really trying to get people to open their mouths about, you know, what's going on inside of them. And, um, you know, we're always kind of trying to be, you know, stewards to Los Angeles. Um, I sit on the board for LA's best, which is an after school program which does uh, after-school programs for 25,000 kids in the city of LA, all schools that are, um, you know, in, in bad neighborhoods with bad funds. I've been on the board for LA's Best for about seven years. Uh, we do a lot of work with CCAP, um, which I really love. And I've got one one kid who's the, you always say, I call him the prodigal son to his face now. Um, but he has uh, got a full scholarship. He'd never been on an airplane before he worked at Redbird. Um, he got a full scholarship to the CIA, he got a full scholarship to Drexel University. He wanted his MBA, so he's actually, funny enough, enlisting in the military. Um, he's on active reserve right now. He's going uh, to join the military as an officer. He's going to get the GI Bill and he's going to get his MBA at uh, USC. And then hopefully, if I'm lucky, he's going to offer me a job. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. Jose Gordillo, who you probably met around, who's a super, yeah. super great guy and you know, just trying to be a good steward for LA and, and, uh, you know, I, I, for a long time, you know, I wore LA on my sleeve, you know, because everybody hated LA. You went to New York, LA sucks. You went to San Francisco, LA sucks. 
And, uh, you know, now I don't have to say that anymore. Now everybody's like, LA is great and people understand that. But, you know, I've, I've been a big, you know, I had, I had a kid very young. I have a 31-year-old 30, daughter who's getting married Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I wanted to be part of her life. So I, you know, stayed close to home. And um, my mom still lives in the same house I was born into. Um, so, you know, I, the, 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 the blood runs blue. The Dodger blood runs blue through my veins. And I always try to be as supportive as I can of my home. I live as far away from home as I've ever lived. And I live 11 miles away from, you know, where I was born and raised. So not very far. Well, it's a pleasure for me to meet you, Neil. Likewise. I don't talk so, that I don't talk so a lot about you. He's he talks about you too. He's you. he's scared of you. <laughs> I'm scary. He used to always say to me, "Mom, mom, you're you're like so acerbic," and I said, "That's okay. I don't care." People <laughs> exactly. are afraid of you. That's that's fine. Don't worry. And about then when it. we go and we would go to dinner when we were young, and something went wrong, she goes. By the way, I have a restaurant, and she would say that, and we would go running to the bathroom because we were like so embarrassed. Because she would like let him know what time it was, you know what I mean? But I, I particularly hated overpouring. of wine. I know, mom. I know, mom. But but I I I, I hope, mom, that you understand the magic of this man. I I've been to his home. I know his family well. He's one of the smartest, uh, talented people I know. Well, I really consider him somebody I care about. Thank you. You know, he's he's brilliant. Likewise, he's just a beautiful human. Thank you. you. Know, so, and thanks for spending this time with us. It's thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my it's my honor and pleasure. And if you want to have me back, I'd love to come back whenever that makes sense. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you so much. We'll do a Bernie Man episode. Yeah, talk about the foods at Bernie Man. What do people do when they are inebriated? On many different psychedelics, they exactly. eat a lot of dust. That yeah. that would be a brilliant topic. Let's get on that. Yeah. yeah All right. Sounds good. Everyone, just uh, to uh, recap, you know, we've we've been talking a little bit about Calmex, the influence, and we've had a wonderful guest here, of course, my compadre, mi hermano, Neil Frazier, uh, chef at Redbird in Los Angeles, a fantastic restaurant, and of course, uh, this episode on cooking from A to Z. With my beautiful mom, Sarala Martinez, myself, Aaron Sanchez, on Heritage Radio Network. Please continue to find more information about it and engage us. Uh, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, please reach out to our wonderful guest and my mom. So, mommy. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Muchas gracias. Thank you. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Entra. Uh...
Hanya 